Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 33. As always, the crew is here with you. Richard, how's it going? Hey, guys. What's up? Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? Today's episode, uh, honestly, we're getting right down to business. Not that big of a docket. We're literally talking about what we saw at PAX. So a lot of Battle for Zendikar stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about the spoilers. But mainly, we're just talking about a lot of the craziness that we saw. So they announced Battle for Zendikar. They showed us some spoilers and some really crazy uh, expedition inserts uh, that will be slightly more abundant than a foil mythic rare, uh, as per Mero, uh, what he tweeted. We're going to talk about a couple spoilers, like I mentioned, but honestly, I'm just going to open up the floor to you. We're just going to get to it right away. So what did you think of PAX, Seth? Ah, it was pretty exciting. I mean, obviously the tournament was great, other than the Abs and Mir in the finals. Congratulations to Seth Manfeld for being the uh, world champion this year. But the big news was obviously the PAX uh, Battle for Zendikar stream or intro show, which gave us a ton of information on the new set, and a lot of it was pretty exciting. I definitely, I had the time wrong, so sorry about that, everyone. It was Pacific, <laughs> not Eastern. But I made a point of catching that and watching it live, and it was uh, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, Richard, what did you think? I thought it was pretty fun. I I did not expect so much news to come out of PAX. They they really uh, hit it out of the ballpark this time around. I expected just a couple uh, mythics or something, but they released you know the land arts, the new land cycle, Zenikar expeditions, in addition to. Uh, you know, Ulamog and Gideon. Like, you know things are going to go crazy when the first card they spoil is, like, the Chase Planeswalker Gideon. So uh, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I, I questioned who they had up on the stage other than uh, Mark Rosewater, but... <laughs> yeah, who uh, is Will Wheaton? Like, it, should I, I know don't. who this guy is for some reason? I, I don't want to know who he is. He's a famous... So he was on Star Trek. Uh, yeah, when he was a kid, I and I don't know, I see him on Big Bang Theory. He's just like a pseudo celebrity who is into geek culture, so he likes board games, D and D, MTG, and stuff like that. And who so was the other person? That um, I don't know. The woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I have no idea. All right. Honestly, that was awful. Um, it was like really forced and awkward, but whatever. Marrow saved it. I'll, I'll say that with the. Uh, his enthusiasm. So Mark Ro- Rosewater, the, the news itself. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, Mark Rosewater, if you're listening, you're always really enthusiastic. So at least like there's that, like I, I can get into it just from that. Like unrelated note, I watched um, a recent stream about like this, the world of Warcraft, the new expansion. And they were talking to people like as if they didn't have more than like 4 million subscribers, which is like <laughs> the lowest they've ever had. And it was just very bland. Uh, and not very exciting. So, Mark Rosewater, good job, man. On a more serious note, I, I'm I'm very excited and a little scared uh, about what they they did with these expeditions. Now, uh, Richard, you have a totally different take, and that that's fine and it's well deserved. Uh, they it, it is like kind of this you know swag kind of pimpage that they're gonna do and throw people a bone uh, for these full art shocks and, and fetch lands that they're inserting and these slow lands we're, co- we're calling them, I guess. But this kind of just feels like we're, we're entering, like, they might as well have just set a new rarity. Like, we're going beyond Mythic into, like, super ultra 
deluxe mythic rare of like the Yu-Gi-Oh status. And <laughs> that's kind of scary a little bit. I mean, me and Seth had a little uh, conversation via Twitter uh, and a little off Twitter that this is not like a remedy for printing to the demands of people trying to get into modern and people trying to get uh, Zendikar fetch lands and all that. This is to sell packs, bottom line. I mean, this is not like you can get excited all you want. And I am excited about the set. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. The cards are cool. But this kind of expedition thing is a little weird, especially because the first time around in Zendikar, uh, Richard, you were playing at the time. Seth, you weren't. They didn't hype like the inclusion of this stuff at all. Like they didn't even mention it. Like the first time I heard about it were people cracking boxes and they're like, oh, there's a fetch land in here or something like that. They didn't mention it at all. So I want to get your take on this, Richard, before Seth, you, you chime in. Yeah, it, it's slightly different than a new rarity, right? And for two reasons, right? One is the cards are reprints, right? So you don't, you know, if there's a chase card in this, you know, quote unquote new rarity, uh, you can get it uh, through other means. So uh, the, the example would be on Magic Online where they have the bonus rarity for Power 9. Uh, there's no other way to get Power 9, so you actually need to open that Power 9 card at uh, the extra Mythic Rarity. Um, so it made things more expensive, right? Whereas here, uh, if you want the Zendikar Expedition cards, you don't need them to build a deck. You just need them because you're a collector, right? Uh, you want to make your deck cool, or you want something rare. Uh, it's really playing to the Vorthos. Uh, the, they've, they've labeled collectors as Vorthos. Um, so... It's not quite a new rarity, uh, but price-wise, it's, it's something like that, right? Uh, and I think it's an all-around good thing. It's a win-win for everyone, right? If you don't want to pay upwards of $200 for your lands, well, you don't need to. You can buy the $10 normal version. However, if you had deep pockets and you wanted uh, something cool for your deck, you now have a, you know, you now have a choice, right? It's, it's kind of like judge promos for the regular community where uh, if you're not a judge, they're prohibitively expensive, but some people are okay with that, right? So I think it's a win-win. It'll sell packs. It will satisfy uh, the people who want to dump their money to pimp out their decks. And, uh, you know, players will be happy cracking packs and their standard staples will be lower in price. So I think it's a win-win. I think this is great, and I think they'll continue doing it in the future. Yeah, you mentioned something there that we're going to get to very shortly. Um, so overall, from Richard, you're, you're liking this, and uh, really good um, take on that. Seth, what do you think? Oh, man. Okay. I, <laughs> I I think it's a win-win, too, on the assumption that this is a one-time thing. If this is like the Priceless yes. Treasures in the original Zendikar, which is a fun promo, it's tied to the theme of the set, since Zendikar is this land theme, the first time you were out adventuring and searching for treasure... Like, if that's what this is, I think it's a win-win. Like, collectors and pimpers get their cool new full art cards. Standard players get a significant discount on the cards in the set, and everyone's happy. If they start doing this every set, I'm a little worried that we could be in for some long-term problems. That's exactly where I was going with this. So, yeah, under the assumption that they do this, I guess just once or very scarcely? I mean, where does this start? This this just kind of opened the door to something very kind of interesting. And this is where I'm getting a little nervous about is because 
what's going to start happening? They, they, they changed the cadence. So we now have three blocks a year at two sets per block. Um, do they just start trying to sell every block on the, on the back end of these timeless treasures? Where does this start ending where you put non-reserve list cards that are a lot of money? Do you just start adding timeless treasures to every block? I don't know if they're going to do that. I'm, I'm sure they won't, but I have to think this is something that they are gauging to start doing more often. I'll just say that. Um, so I think I think that's where you were going with that, right, Seth? Yeah, basically. That's I mean, and if you look at it from a big perspective, Magic, as we know, we've talked about it before, has been in this yep. huge growth period since about when Zendikar released. And that growth, as far as just the overall player base, has slowed down recently. It's still positive, but we're not increasing at 20, 25% a year. We're increasing at 5 or 10% a year. So Wizards has shifted their focus to trying to get more money from the established player, and that's been working. Like, the spending from people that are already in the game has been up the last couple of years. And this is a continuation, I think, of that trend. Like, I see people that would never consider buying a booster box talking about buying a case or two cases just because of this promotion. Yeah, me being one of them. Yeah, including you, Chad. <laughs> I and I and I I don't do this like at all. Uh I've bought a box here and there, you know, over the course of playing uh the game. I, I did buy a box of cons at my most recent, uh but nothing on this grand scale like Yeah, I I mostly deal with singles, but I mean, it's kind of almost too enticing to want to get a case. You get like one, you hit the lotto of one of the blue, I'll say blue, uh, full art something, Hallow Fountain, Steam Vents, uh, Misty, whatever, and basically paying for almost a third of the box. And just a, you know, a little side note, uh, Seth posted a great article up on, uh, MTG Goldfish today. Uh, I urge you all to read it because uh, Seth, we were just talking off cast. I think you're directly on the money, no pun intended, on what these are going to run. I think those ranges are pretty much what we're going to see on these. The blue stuff between t- 250 and 400, non-blue or fetches rather, non-blue fetches in the 200, shocks closer to 100, and the slow lands 50, maybe a little under 50. I think that's totally right on. And if you hit, you know, one of those, I mean, one of the blue fetches, that's spending, that's, that's basically giving you back more than half of what you spent on a case plus everything else that you get in the case. So, I mean, the EV, I'm sure you're going to have a, a very <laughs> interesting time doing the EV uh, on these. Uh, I'm eagerly awaiting that. Because uh, it's going to be very interesting. Well, but, the, the uh, asterisk in this equation is you get on average one per case. Yeah. Right. So if you open, if you're lucky enough, you open one. It could be that uh, prairie stream, right, <laughs> or that cinder glade, right? Which it, would it's be kind awful. of the same thing, right? Like if you you bought a box of Innistrad and you opened the foil Liliana, then yes, right, you, you hit the jackpot. But you could have opened the foil. I can't think of a jank mythic from Innistrad, but. You could have opened basically Reaper of the Abyss. Yeah, so it, it really adds that lottery aspect, which people love, right? People buy booster boxes today for that aspect, so it kind of yeah, I mean that and turns it up to eleven, right? It, exactly. We just saw that in Modern Masters 2015. Now, 
they always seem to get these kind of print runs crazy. So obviously there's going to be the person out there that opens a case and gets like five of these. <laughs> um, just like they got 50, what, 24 foil rustic relics. <laughs> so I- I'm sure there'll be some weird oddities in there. But um, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm very excited, but a little concerned about where we go from here. Because like you said, Seth, they kind of turned the corner on... I mean, the game is still growing. Don't get me wrong. It's a very, you know, slow and steady, gradual, healthy growth. Not akin to what we were seeing in the couple past years. But it's a little weird. You know, it's a little concerning that they turn and try to increase the spending on people they already have and not trying to continually draw in new players. Um, But the one good side effect that Richard did say and that we're going to talk about now is with this kind of lotto and with people starting to now buy cases where they weren't even buying boxes before, that's a good thing in the sense of an MTG finance perspective of, you know, a rare is going to have to, I tweeted about this, a rare is going to really have to move mountains to be over five bucks. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, and I, I've heard a lot of complaints about this from people who presumably aren't interested or don't have the resources to buy these lands. And I can, I get that, but we have to realize that not everything in Magic is for everyone. And these are not for me, and they're not for a lot of players out there. But you still benefit. The normal, regular, standard player that's watching Budget Magic and scraping together to build the deck is going to get a huge discount on their deck just because of this. These, this land cycle is eating up 20 or $25 of the box EV, which is going to bring down the price on all these other cards that you're going to want for your decks. Yeah, Uh, so that is a good thing, Uh, whether you want to try to pin the MTG finance people for sucking up all the cases and all that. Eventually, they're going to be cracked. Um, Maybe people hold them, I don't know, for five years down the line. That's also a good, I'm assuming that's what some people will do, and that's a good strategy as well. I mean, we were just talking last cast about a fat pack. I mean, now we have boxes with these in them, and covers the financial aspect uh, of, of all this. Um, we didn't, you know, me and Richard were talking. Do you have any kind of closing final thoughts on that? Um, the numbers are going to be a little wacky, to say the least. Um, maybe hope for one of these per case, uh, and I guess that's being hopeful. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I think overall it's a good thing uh, for most players, and I'm pretty excited about it. And we'll just see how this goes in the future i wish they were a little more common like uh one a case is just so infrequent um but what can you do they will be special and they're pretty exciting yeah so we talked we're actually going to talk about the lands themselves now um richard you you posed the question what we thought about the actual art of the basics art of the uh expedition cards like the border and all that now we're going to talk about the actual Battle for Zendikar lands. We kind of got sidetracked there with the expeditions. Uh, they're also in there, but we wanted to talk about these quote-unquote slow lands. I guess we're going to talk, we're going to call them. Uh, so we mentioned this last cast, so the basics. Um, you can find these in actual packs. Uh, the fat packs are going to be included. Uh, these are going to be included in the fat packs and the land pack. What do you actually think of the art? of these um do they kind of hold up to 
standard of whole art land. Yes. <laughs> so last <laughs> last podcast, I was like, ah, oh, full art land, who cares? Come on, guys, readers. Now I'm like, oh, I think I should buy a fat pack. <laughs> Some of these lands are awesome. Like the Noah Bradley Mountain, I need that. And apparently I need 20 in case I play mono red. Right? There, there's a lot of new lands by uh, four different artists. So each basic land type comes with four uh, new arts and one favorite reprint from uh, Zendikar. And I personally think the new art is better than the old art. So I will be picking up a lot of full art land. So I, I love the new art. I, I think they, they really got it down. And uh, no John Avon, but uh, the four artists that did these lands did a great job. So it, I'm really pleased. Yeah, Noah Bradley really hit it out of the park uh, on these full arts. Um, mountain, the forest, uh, specifically, because, uh, you know, I like Forrest. Uh, um, all, all his work on these uh, on these full arts are just really good. The composition is just great. Um, I, I like them, I, and I would be very happy to have these in foil. Sure. Uh, Seth? Yeah, I think they're better than the original Zendikar full art lands in general. And like you guys said, I'm not the biggest art guy, but the Noah Bradley ones do look pretty awesome. So I'm definitely pleased with the art on them. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're they're all really good. I'm, I'm kind of across the board. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of uh, actually kind of surprised they brought one of the arts back from the original Zendikar. Couldn't afford the fifth artist. <laughs> They're like that's like guys, budget for four. Yep, that's it, man. We only have a budget for four new ones. Got expeditions to worry about. Speaking of expeditions, what do you think of the uh, expedition art and border? Garbage. Richard. Garbage. Absolute garbage. So I don't know why they call these full arts. If you look at the cards themselves. The artwork is like 10% bigger. Um, so, I mean, technically, there's some art behind the text. The text takes up like the entire frame, almost like half of the frame. So, they really should have made textless to make these special. Um, but I think Wizards has a problem with textless cards and new players and things like that. But to me, they don't feel that special. Like, they don't feel full art to me. Um, and they're newer, so I don't think they'll be as pimp as the originals. And uh, Hollow's Fountain in particular really bugs me. Uh, it looks like a friggin' Bowser shell or something floating <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. And you see forest and water. And I don't see hints of planes or anything related to white in the art. So um, this definitely, I think, is where they kind of screwed up. I, I don't want these in terms of uh, how they look. I'd rather just play the originals. So I think that will kind of diminish value of these expedition cards. The fact that they're not really full art, the fact that you know, they're, they're very different from the original art, there's a very different uh, style and flavor. So uh, I don't think legacy players will be trying to go for these, uh, would go for these to pump up their decks. I think the original foils would still be the choice, or the judge promos, um, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what direction they were going uh, aesthetically with these. I don't know why the art 
department decided to put these like weird Aztec like hieroglyphic looking designs on the back of them. Uh, maybe because they're treasures, I guess, to play off that, like that kind of uh, feel. But yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you, Richard. The Howl of Fountain doesn't fit at all uh, in terms of portraying a hallowed fountain. Uh, the Zendikar Flowlands, like the, the expedition versions, look good. I, I think those are fine. But yeah, I mean, these are not full art by any stretch of the means. I mean. You're right, maybe the frame's like 10% bigger, but I think they could have... You mentioned new players. I mean, how many new players are actually going to pull one of these that actually matter? Uh, I think you could have done away with that uh, text box and had it gone all the way down to where it says land, uh, X, like forest plains, mountain forest. You, you could have just eliminated that text box and had it gone, the art all the way down to that line. I think that would have been fine. Um, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I mean, the steam vents in the air in Mesa look fine. Uh, but yeah, that, that weird, like, background is, throws me off. I don't know why. I just don't like it. I, I think that the arts themselves are fine. I like the art on most of them. But if you look at, like, the Champs promo Mudavault, it is possible Beautiful. to make a... <laughs> <Beautiful. laughs> on Oh, my God. It is still Throw away the whole cast. Yeah, do it again. It is it is possible to make a full art land and still have text on it. Like the mutable yeah. does have text and it is full art. Like if they had done these like the uh, champs promo, I totally would be happy with them. Yeah. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, they're foil, they're team vents and blue fetches, so this kind of all goes out the window. I don't know. That's just me. I, I mean, I I don't think it's so detrimental that it's going to take away from them commanding a premium price, uh, or you know, just the sheer fact that people may want these. Uh, but I do agree it could have been executed a little better. I do agree with that. Like like you said, Seth, there was a a successful way of making these full art with text. I mean, they did it with the mutable. Yeah. I, th I think so. they will still be really expensive, though, as you can see from, yeah, like, misprints and stuff, because a card doesn't have to look good if it's super rare. Like, it's the rarity itself that drives the price, and these are pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, on to the actual rare land cycle of Battle for Zendikar. So you're naming these the slow lands. That seems to be the trend of what's going on. I've heard tango lands. I've heard, I, I like this one, The Company. I like Three's Company. That was a really good show. So, take three, Three's Company, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Any of them will work, I guess. So, what do you think, Richard? Uh, so, these are ally-colored lands. And, uh, they enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more basics. And the important part is, they have the basic land types on them, so uh, forest plains for canopy vista, which means you can search them up with fetch land. And what I think, uh, they're okay. I, I'm not as high as like Seth's on these. These are <laughs> me either. Don't worry. <laughs> you, you'll play these, okay? We, we're playing game lands and standards, right? So <laughs> yes, you will play these in standards, but 
I think they don't fix mana as well as uh, we hope because right now we have Strylands as standard and we have Gainlands. They enter the battlefield tapped. And these only enter the battlefield untapped on turns three or more. But to me, the most crucial turns are turns one and two. Uh, that'll let, that lets you play aggressive two color decks, which we can't play in standard right now because they're tap lands or they're not as good. Um, but, you know, in general, your third or fourth land, you can fetch a basic uh, to get an untapped land. You don't really need mana fixing at that point. So I don't think they're that great. They'll help you play things like uh, Hero's Downfall into Anger of the Gods with some other, like, two-color card. They'll let you play, like, really uh, ambitious three-color decks. But they're not really good for two-color decks nor five-color decks. So, meh. Uh, for standard and in modern, uh, I think they'll replace maybe one shock in the mana base. Uh, sometimes you want to grab these to save two life. Um, so they're playable, but nothing too exciting. Fetches and shocks will still uh, be king. Uh, ABU duels and legacy. Uh, you'll see them. You'll see them pop up. So I put them around the level of like a buddy land, where you see them show up from time to time in modern. They're serviceable, but nothing to get too excited over. That's my take. I'm, I'm like slightly happy. I'm gonna have to lean everything towards you said, Richard. Uh, honestly, when I looked at these. Like, obviously, it's good that they're basic land types. Like, you can fetch them. But I mean, is this is that? actually better than scrying I, I still don't like yes i get the fact that you you can fetch them i'm gonna probably hear that uh, kingdom come uh that you can fetch these i get it you can fetch them modern you're probably not gonna like, like you said richard we were actually talking a little bit about this off cast these lands um they're kind of like the first all right we're, we're, we're like entering the first argument of these Akin to what we had on like the Scryland, that they're better than a basic. Uh, yeah, th and they're serviceable. You're right. Like they're they're akin to Buddy Land, and I just I don't see them seeing a huge amount of play in Modern. They're good for Standard, obviously, but this is uh, gets benefit from this, so I'm cool about that. But I just don't know. I don't know if I want this over Scry. I mean, Scry kind of fixed a lot of things. Like, Scry made your draws a little better. I mean, does this having a basic really help that much? I mean, I guess it makes two color decks a little more viable now, and it makes Scry color decks at plus, Scry colored plus, uh, not as good. So, I don't know. Because like you said, Richard, the, the turns one through three, sorry to cut you off, Seth, no, that's right. it is the most important, and this is like a third turn plus duel. I think you guys are underestimating the power of basic land types. Like, this is only the third cycle of lands, dual lands with basic land types. One of them is the greatest land cycle ever printed, and the other is the best land cycle in modern. Like, there's some serious pedigree with duels that can be fetched. So I think these lands are going to be very good. They're below those first two cycles, and they're not going to replace shocks in modern, but they're going to be off 
Human standard because we have fetch lands, and I think they will see a bit of play in modern either in specific decks or, like Richard said, replacing one shock here and there. Yeah, what is that? We need to get excited over. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's huge play. Like, how excited were we for fast lands in modern? How excited were we for buddy lands in modern? Like, they show up, right? They're, they're playable, but like, okay, you have like two lands that will fit in your deck, but you know. It's not as hype as like getting like the ally fetches or you know, getting the shock lands. So I don't know. Are you really that hyped, Seth? I don't understand. <laughs> Are you I'm hyped for one not, more card for your deck? Like you're gonna take out that super hyped card? to me. That's for sure. The yeah. the other thing, and I say this a lot on the podcast because I think sometimes making budget magic like paints my vision on things. But the big benefit of these in the long term is this will let budget modern players play a real modern mana base of fetches, fetching non-basic lands for a fraction of the cost of playing Zendikar fetches and shock lands. They're important that they exist, um, even though they aren't as good as some of the previous cycles. Yeah, they're not nearly as good as the previous cycles, I'll just say, <laughs> I'll just say that. And uh, I'll agree with the fact that uh, they're... They're good, right? We've established they're good. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be great for budget players. So and I, think, I think that's good. And if we just step back a minute, we this is really close to having a standard where we have fetch lands and shock lands. Like, this is very close to having that mana base, which I don't think anyone thought they would allow. Like, did we really think that they would allow that combination of lands and standard at the same time? Well, well, just tell you that your opinion is wrong, Seth. <laughs> that it's not like Shockland, because Wizards wouldn't do something so ridiculous. There it they is. tested it. There it is. So no, R&D knows it's not Shockland. Yeah. I mean, Richard, I'm siding with Richard here. I mean, we've established they're good. They're serviceable. There's nothing bad about them. I'm not, not like, crashing on these. I think you're a little too hyped on them. To be, I mean, you're, like, flying off the hinges about these <laughs> and going crazy about them, but... Um, yeah, I mean, those are, th those are all good upsides, but, like, they're not shocks. Like, I think they're not egregious enough to say, oh, we have, like, the perfect mana base, like, they're shocks again. No, they're, they're good, and obviously they're going to be used, and I will probably be playing them in standard. So all of that comes into my uh, assessment of these cards. Am I, like, going crazy, like, about them? No, I mean, I'm not, like... I'm crazy about them, but I'm I'm excited for them. I, I think they're they're good, a good land base to have. I, I just don't know. Coming off of Scrylands, where like I was playing Band Heroic, a deck that really that doesn't like, and like fixing my draws with Scry. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I, I'm gonna be a little disappointed to replace these and not have Scry anymore on my lands. So. It's not like, you know, aggro decks were completely crashed on by coming into play tap lands. Like, they, they made it work. Like, Heroic was still a deck. Red was still a deck. Um, doesn't play Scry lands, but uh, Heroic did. And I, I liked having the Scry on my lands. And I, you know, I'm not really like... Yeah, go ahead. It's funny you say that, because if you remember two years ago when they were spoiled, people hated the Scry lands. They like, did. 
most people thought they should have been uncommons. Like, that's how much people hated the Skylands when they were spoiled. But, but <laughs> that's did, because the Invitelands are so much better, right? Yeah. I, I would so much rather have a glacial fortress than a fairy stream. Right? And the, the Skylands, I think, were a downgrade uh, from those Corset lands and the Innistrad lands. And then now, I don't know, it's kind of close to the Skylands, situationally. Uh, one is better than the other. But uh, what, what I will say is I actually like the design. The design itself is actually yeah. cool because in standard, there's nothing to make basic lands relevant. Uh, in modern, you have Blood Moon. In Wasteland, you have, or sorry, in Legacy, you have Wasteland. But right now, in standard, you have nothing. So this actually gives you some design tension. Like, oh, you know, I should include more basics. I could actually uh, you know, play these duels. So I like that they're trying to make basics matter yeah. in standard. So design-wise, I think they're pretty cool. I mean, and, they, and they've been pushing that because, I mean, you've played the game since the beginning, Richard. I mean, basics should matter. And, like, it shouldn't just be all non-basic lands in your deck. And it was a, we were at a point where basically people didn't play, like, non-basic lands in their deck. And I do like the fact that they've been gradually making basic lands important, like, for the kind of year, maybe one year now, maybe two years, yeah, a few years now. Um, and yeah, it, it is important. I, I do like that. And this was a good, non-egregious way to print, quote-unquote, shock lands in, in the sense that they're uh, basic land types that aren't as good as shock. So, yeah, I, I do like that aspect of it. And, and you're right, Richard, basic should matter. I like having basics in my deck, especially when they're Zendikar full are best uh, basics. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna miss Rylands. I never thought I'd say that, but <laughs> I am gonna miss them. Honestly, I think if you just put the Rylands in in these slots again, I would. I think I would have been okay with that. But oh well, we digress. Um, we. So now that we've gotten all the lands and all this controversial expedition stuff out of the way, let's talk spoilers because we got some awesome spoilers over the packs, the course of packs. So, Richard, let's let's do some spoilers. All right, we'll we'll just start off with Gideon, yeah. ally of Zendikar. Two white white for four mana. He's a four loyalty planeswalker. Uh, his plus one is, until end of turn, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, becomes a 5-5 human soldier ally creature with indestructible that's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. Uh, his zero is put a 2-2 white knight ally creature token onto the battlefield. And his minus four is, you get an emblem with creatures you control, yeah, plus one, plus one. What do you guys think? So I think the best comparison I've seen was it's a slightly worse version than Elspeth Knight Errant, and I think that taps. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison. It also reminds me a little bit of uh, the flip group in that it can make a token for yeah. zero, and that you don't really have an ultimate you're building towards. I think the fact it becomes a 5-5 indestructible, that's almost... Gideon Jura territory, but it costs one less mana, so that's pretty impressive. 
Also, it also gets a lot better with Theo's downfall getting out of the uh, way. So the I guess the card we're gonna talk about later, Luna's path to the sorcery. Uh, when he's indestructible, he's actually indestructible now. He's not just gonna die in Planeswalker form before the plus one. Yeah, but I don't know. Like I think you need an ally deck to make him work. Like I think if you're playing White Weenie, you'd rather just play Archangel Tide. I think Falter is better than an Emblem or a five-five. You can't attack a turn you, you play him, so you can't attack on turn four. That makes it slightly awkward. Um, but if there's an ally deck with ally synergies, then he'd be a great curve topper in that deck. Yeah, I mean, for a four-mana walker, Gideon, this this version of Gideon's pretty damn good. I don't know if he's delegated to just allies. I think he's better in allies, but I think he's still serviceable outside of allies. Like, Maybe if you're not running a huge creature density, like the emblem's going to be a little awkward, but you still get two very good abilities on your Planeswalker. I mean, a 5-5 five, five indestructible beater, or 2-2 two, two every turn that doesn't lower his loyalty and also protects uh, Planeswalkers. I mean, I think it's very good. Uh, I I like it. At level 0, too, just, you can play this as a 4-mana Crusade. Like, yeah, Crusade yeah. is 3-mana, and that's very playable. Having it come in and immediately be a Crusade that has the upside of being a creature when you need it to or making tokens, I think that's a pretty powerful mix. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really like it. It's pretty similar to Soren Solemn Visitor, where you're exchanging yep. the 5-5 five, five body for the plus 1, plus 0 lifelink. Um, and Soren sees play now and then. He's not like prevalent in the format. You don't just jam Soren into every deck, but he has a role. Like, there's certain decks that want him, and they put him in. And I think Gideon kind of does the same. Like, I'm hoping for a Super Friends deck. I love Super Friends. Um, so, uh, Gideon would. would fit right in here. One of the downsides of Soren, though, is you can only make two tokens. Uh, before it, you, because it's a negative two ability. Gideon, if you can just let it sit out there, this creates a chump blocker or an attacker if you don't need to block for infinity. Like you can just do this every turn, which I think makes it better than Soren in some respects. Yeah, I mean they they serve different roles, right? Like obviously Soren's better on the, you know, obviously you get the Gideon the emblem from Gideon, but you have to sacrifice him. Soren kind of gives you that better alpha strike because you're gaining life at the same time, and it does last two turns, so your blockers also are benefited from it. So I think, Richard, the, the comparison to Soren Solemn Visitor is actually maybe better than the Knight Errant because, I mean, I think Soren Solemn Visitor at this point in time sees more fringe play than the Elspeth, the first Elspeth, which kind of is unfortunate because the first Elspeth was really good. Um, but I do see Soren kind of fringe playing modern a little bit. He's a uh, fringe and standard too. He has his role. But I think this Gideon is largely going to have the same future as that, with maybe a little more upside. I need to try him in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, you could play Knight's Best. Uh, like, you could play Elf's Best Knight era in Legacy. Can, yeah. can, so well, maybe we'll just throw Gideon there for fun. Maybe. <laughs> can you play this outside of an aggressive deck, though? Like, to me, this card looks like purely, like, a mono-white aggro, Boros aggro. Like, the first ability is aggressive, the Crusades for aggressive decks. 
I don't know. To me, this seems like an aggro planeswalker, where Soren is more of a defensive, good-from-behind type planeswalker because of the lifelink. I think he's not just delegated to aggro. I really don't think he is. I mean, you're getting... It's like a token generator, almost, for four mana. I mean, we saw Optus Spy Network doing some work in a blue-white control artifact list that... Uh, that Fulgan was playing, so this is kind of like that. I mean, he turns into a massive threat when you need him to, or he can just make tokens forever. Fair enough. It's going to depend on how good a 5-5 five five in the format is. If everyone's yeah, that's playing, true. like, the DC 4-6, then the fight garbage. Right? <laughs> but if everyone's playing 4-4s, four you know, you can actually get through and actually uh, get in there, then he'll be pretty good in any, like, mid-range strategy. Yeah, at least he's indestructible, so nothing kind of can muck things up. Ends if we get a path to exile. <laughs> that would be uh, a little more. Or would that be a yeah. reprint? <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, good. All right, let's move on to uh, another mythic, Ulamog 2.0. Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger. And mana. And 10 Eldrazi. When you cast Ulamog, exile two permanents. Indestructible. When Ulamog attacks, defending player exiles the top 20 cards of his or her library. That's what's your take on this. Uh, I think Ulamog is pretty meh. Like, it's... In some ways, it's similar to the first one. They both offer a very fast clock that is going to kill your opponent even through chump blockers. Otherwise, I'm just not super impressed with this card. Eric... I guess this is something you want to ramp into, so that, I guess, is going for it. Like, if you're ramping, this for 10 mana seems like a good payoff for 10 mana. Like, especially if you're casting it, that, that's obviously good. So, I mean, he's fine. I, I don't think he's super great. I don't think he's terrible. So, I guess meh is a good in-between there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, see the unwritten. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> We all called it, yeah. The unwritten, you called it, I called it. <laughs> Listen to us, would have gotten through the unwritten, yeah. And it's not even Woo! good. Like, you, is this really better than Atarka for CV unwritten? It's the same. It's, oh, it's the same no. block basically, two or three turns. CV unwritten, dude. Oh my gosh. Yeah! Woo-hoo! Yes. Congratulations, MTG Finance, everyone. You called it. Very good. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Yes. So, Ulamog <laughs> is just bad. I don't even give him a meh. <laughs> I give him an outright bad. Like, I, I, saw, I saw your tweet. I don't know it. why you'd yeah. want to play this. Like, I'd rather just play 8-man and play an Ugin and exile their board. Right, an exile to permanent. Uh, you can reanimate him. That's special. Except yeah, that's you don't get his exile trigger when you do. Uh, the good thing is if they counter Ulamog, you still get the exile triggers. But for 10 mana, only removing two things, like, is that even worth it? And it's a three-turn clock, most likely. Sometimes a two-turn clock. Um, so, you know, a 7-7 seven, seven flyer would be a thing. So 
I don't see why you would spend all the effort wrapping into Ulamog. Um, I, I don't know if there's like some fringe sideboard play for Ulamog. Like, does Chan want to play him? Are there problematic permanents you want to exile that Ugin? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really see him playable in standard. Uh, EDH players will love Ulamog. Fits into every single deck, so uh, that's where he shines. But constructed formats, I don't know. Uh, limited, if you can cast them, yeah, he's gonna wreck. So I'm not excited over him at all. I think he's actually pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah, you, the the Atarka comparison's pretty good. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe Kozilek and uh, Emrakul will be better this time around and be a little more enticing. Uh, I didn't they make it? Didn't they say that we are not getting those or imply that the other yeah. Eldrazi said the two Eldrazi aren't on Zendikar? Yeah. So probably next set. Yeah. Um. Someone dug up a little bit of lore for me. Uh. On this subject, so they're not on Zendikar right now. That's, I think, where they kind of alluded to. They they said he's the only one there now. So, uh, apparently the other two were in some dreamland or wherever these Eldrazi go, some Aether, whatever, and uh, they left Ulamog to kind of run shit. And uh, they're kind of there, but not there. But I guess if everyone shows up and they're like, hey, we're all going to kill Eldrazi, the other two would be like, oh, crap, we need to come back and you know, help them out. So it, the door's open for them to come back. If they come back, that's a different question. Where does Emrakul go on vacation? That's a good yeah. question. I'm sure someone out there with more superior uh, knowledge of the lore could, will correct me and maybe, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but uh, <laughs> if, if, if I am, please comment. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's what was, uh, was shown to me. So I'm, I'm just going... Off that, and and there are cards that reference them, like Kozilek's yeah. Channeler and so on. So I wouldn't be surprised if they reappeared in the block, but I don't think it'll be in Battle for Zendikar itself. Right? No, it's definitely not Battle for Zendikar. So yeah, uh, Ulmog overall mediocre to bad. Min minus. <laughs> Min minus. Yes. All right. And yeah, see the unwritten eight plus. <laughs> Buy list of the Star City games right now for six bucks. Yeah, sell into the hype. Get rid of them now. You did it. You did it, everyone. <laughs> Good job. So our third mythic is another uh, character that's returning. Omnath, Locus of Rage. Three yeah. colorless, red, red, green, green. So seven converted mana costs. Five, five, legendary creature, elemental. Uh, landfall. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a 5-5 red and green elemental creature token onto the battlefield. Whenever Omnath, Locus of Rage, or another elemental you control dies, Omnath deals 3 damage to target creature or player. Omnath, he's back and he's angry. What do you guys think? He's hulking out. (laughs) He's very, very angry. Um, me Me and Richard talked about this. Damn Atarka, man. I just... This is such a good card, but I just... I mean, we just... We just compared Uamog to Atarka. I don't think... 
playing Omnath over Atarka is right. I just... I, as much as I like Omnath. I don't remember. How good was Rampaging Bayloth in Standard, the in the original Zendikar block? Bad. Okay, so... No, it was, it was like... Okay. I don't think I saw it too much, but it was like fringe, decently viable. That's what this looks like to me. Like, I think this reminds me a lot of Rampaging Bayloth. It's a little more expensive. You get a bigger token and the second ability. So, I don't know. I can't imagine this being a huge standard player. and uh, I just don't really see it. I mean, again, for seven mana, if I had to choose this or Tarka, I had to leave towards Tarka, unfortunately. But he is a very good uh, EDH general. So Atarka is just killing everything this cast. Better than Ulamog, <laughs> better than Omnath. <laughs> Probably I mean, better than Defiant Bloodboard even. He has a chance as a combo piece. I think if you could get yeah. some like aristocrat elemental deck. Like what someone, was the uh someone what was that guy? Borborgamos or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just like you might be able to get some weird combo off and use his ability. Like lightning bolt on an elemental dying is pretty strong. But in terms of just a solid seven drop like value creature, he's kinda weak compared to Atarka, but I mean so eight mana fifteen power if you have a fetch land, like, is that good enough? Like, probably... Uh, pretty damn good. <laughs> Eight mana, 15 power, and then when they die, they deal three each, so nine potential. So maybe, I mean, maybe there's, like, a ramp yeah. deck that gets there and just uses them for value. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe you play this and a Tarka, so you're getting, like, the best of both worlds. Yeah. So you, when you don't draw a Tarka, you get this. But, and Seth, see the unwritten. <laughs> yes, you can see the unwritten for it. The, every creature. Boom. I, I yeah. I mean, maybe I'm gonna go buy some. If if you're in MTG Finance and you have 600 see the unwritten, uh, send me an email. <laughs> I might pick up a couple. <laughs> you want my, you want a couple of mine? You just take them for buy list. I uh. I was actually uh. Let's talk about another card. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's yeah, some just... serious. Uh, what was it? Johnny? Timmy? Who's the who's the combo big splashy play guy? Like if you John. play if you play Omnath, play that card that gets three lands, and then sack those three lands because they're fetch lands to get three other lands. Boy, yeah. that's like there... thirty five power right there. There's... Wait, that's Timmy's like the big Timmy. Yeah, is the big brutish oh, like okay. massive creature. So if like you're that. the Timmy guy. Yeah. Uh, you can get 35 power on the board, so that is actually very exciting, and it kind of makes me want to play EDH. <laughs> yeah. There is a combo in Modern. I don't remember exactly how it works, but it involves perilous forays, which lets you sack a creature to get a land and put it on the battlefield. Yes. So you can basically loop through the death triggers and make a whole bunch of elementals and eventually like combo your opponent off. I think there's another piece, but I can't remember what the third piece of the combo is. I don't know if that's a modern more so than an EDH, but EDH that sounds great. Well modern legal I mean. It's not gonna oh, be right, playing right. modern, but yeah, I mean, not standard shift. legal. Oh man, you don't get your battle cut, you get this. <laughs> yeah. There you go, man. <laughs> All right, nah, I mean, nah. moving on, we have Ruinous Path, 
One black black sorcery. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Awaken four. So if you pay seven mana, you can put four plus one plus one counters on the land and it becomes a zero zero elemental with haste. Uh, so Hero's Downfall comes back at sorcery speed, but with Awaken. So what do you guys think? Pre-ordering for five bucks, by the way. As a rare. Alright, so... I don't, I don't know why people want to, like, keep arguing with me about Awaken. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I'm just, I'm just stating the obvious. Like, seven mana for Awaken just seems like a lot in a, format where you're fighting 10-10s and 8-8 flying Atarkas and Omnath and God knows what else, but I, I, yeah, it's it's a worse hero's downfall, and I think it'll see play maybe because of that, but let's let's be clear, like, everyone's saying, oh, it has pure upside, at, you know, later in the game, like, I, I wouldn't call it pure upside, I don't think the Awaken is why we're playing this card. More so than the fact that it kills a creature or a planeswalker for three mana, even if it's a sorcery. Like, let's let's. I don't. I wouldn't be playing this for its awakening cost. Like, that's not a reason. Like, oh yeah, and I get a four four for seven mana once I get seven mana. Like, I'm not super excited about that as I am. Like, oh for three mana, I still have the option of killing a planeswalker in standard. Well, I mean, and you're right, like, killing the creature is the big thing, and I don't think we want to evaluate any of the Awaken cards, at least any we've seen so far, by their Awaken cost. But if a Sorcery Speed Hero's Downfall is good, this card is strictly better. Just because when you draw on turn 8, you have a, a hasty 4-4 attacker uh, along with it. So right. If, yeah. if the card itself is good, the Awaken is just icing on the cake. And, but it's not the reason to play the card. It's just pure... It, but it is pure upside, in in a sense. Like, yeah, I guess in the sense that you get a 4-4. Four, four, I mean, what that 4-4 four, four ends up doing uh, in this format is open for debate. But, yeah, I guess. It's like, like an automatic two-for-one. What What I think, like, this is obviously best case, but in the late game... You and your opponent are top decking. They have a Siege Rhino and a Sorin or something. You take and draw this card. You can kill the Siege Rhino with the the, the uh, removal ability. Make your land into a creature and with haste and attack the Planeswalker. And you get like a three for one off this card in the late game and win the game because of it. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, best case scenario. I mean, that's a lot of stuff lining up, but yeah. But even just killing a creature and getting a 4-4, which is the normal on turn 7 scenario, is still good. Like, that's still a powerful yeah. ability. Right. I I'm just saying, like, I, I just... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sticking on the fact that, like, the, the Awaken isn't the reason we're playing this card. Like, yes, it is upside, but I wouldn't say pure upside in just yet when, you know, maybe every creature's a 5-5 five five or something like that. and But it's still upside. Or, yeah, it is upside. I think yeah. it's upside. I think it's, it's a man land, like a bad man land, right? Think Celestial Colony, right? You need six mana to activate it, right? So it pretty much does nothing the entire game. And then later on in the game, you're blue-black control, you, you stabilize, you kill the creature, and then boom, you have a 4-4 four four to finish the game. Yeah. Right? And it's seven mana versus... You know, Celestial Colonnade plus Doomblade is seven mana, right? It flies, but, um, you know, there, there are some downsides here. It can get hit by sorcery speed removal, uh, and it has no evasion or anything, but 
it's a sorcery speed hero's downfall, which I think people would play anyway, right? And now if you're if your deck is capable of generating seven mana, you can now have a finisher stapled onto that. So yeah. I think we talked on Twitter like there might be a deck with no finishers, where they just have like random awaken cards, and their goal is to stabilize the board and kill you, right? Like yeah. follow Boy, your drown yard or four four, you know four four yeah. uh, lands, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, a language would blow you out of the water, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just keep drawing more cards because you're control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but no, yeah, I I agree. I just like want to make sure everyone's like, you know, this doesn't become super much better because of Awaken. Like, well, I, Awaken's just there to be a, 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 an added bonus. I think and that's that. Honestly, I think it's worse than Hero's Downfall. Even oh, with yeah. Awaken, yeah. I think oh, it's still yeah. worse just by being a sorcery. So just so that's clear, it's more Dreadbore than Hero's Downfall in some sense. Yeah, um, Dreadbore wasn't seeing that much play until, you know, Hero's Downfall completely eclipsed it. Right. So I think it'll see play as a maybe a one or two of, but I don't think this is like, the automatic four of in every deck like Hero's Downfall was at its peak. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It depends if we get a Doomblade. If we get a Doomblade type card, then this goes down in value, but if we don't, then like you gotta play this, right? Like Unless yeah, we you play got, Murder. Yeah, <laughs> you wanna play Instant cut. Speed. I we mean, got Murder still. Yeah. If if they had a murder, instant speed, or rudeness path, what would you play? I still think murder. Uh, that's Source tough. For Planeswalker and Awaken? Uh, I, I think know. I would play Ruinous Path. Yeah. But it's really... I still like Murderous Cut, to be honest. It's, yeah, Murderous it's, Cut. It's meta-dependent, though. Like, if we're in a Planeswalker-heavy meta, like, killing Elspeth is a big deal. Like, some decks just need an out to that. So I think if we're in that type of meta game, you would definitely play Ruinous Path. At least I mean, in I some th- number. I think it's going to be played because of that i mean if if it's not played then more planeswalkers are going to crop up because this is not being played so i think this keeps planeswalkers honest like i know you know maybe you know you know not right now narset is not like obviously that good but without a hero's downfall maybe you know every planeswalker starts becoming more viable right like even if they're not amazing Especially Narsets that start off with such high loyalty and are hard to right. kill without a hero's downfall. Like, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think this, st- this sticks around in Cease Play just for that uh, fact alone, to keep the Planeswalker strategy honest. Alright. So, moving on, we have the last card we want to talk about today. Radiant Flames. Uh, Tuna Red. It's a sorcery. Uh, it has a new mechanic, Converge. Radiant Flames deals X damage to each creature, where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast Radiant Flames. So, pseudo-replacement. Uh, what do you guys think? I think this is going to be important uh, in multicolored deck strategies. And you're right. I mean, I think this is a better, an easier to cast Anger. Anger was that kind of that double red. Uh, it did Exile... I don't know how important that's going to be right now, but yeah, I think this is going to be serviceable. So I, I think it'll see some play. Should aggressive decks be too rampant? Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be very good. Like anger is a good card to have in the format, and 
we're moving away from Theros block is rotating, so the monocolor devotion theme that we've had in standard won't be there anymore. And instead, the dominant block will be cons block, which is conveniently based around three color wedges. So I expect Radiant Fountain to see a lot of play and be very good. Radiant, Radiant Flames. Flames. <laughs> <laughs> I love Radiant Fountain so much. It <laughs> gaining life with your lands. No, okay, yes, Radiant Flames. <laughs> I don't. I think it'll be a bit tough. I think hitting three colors on turn three to get yeah. anger will be tough. But it will be. Yeah. Three mana to deal four damage or five damage to everything is pretty good, right? Oh, wait, you can't well, even do that. At most, no. it's three damage. It's all, uh, yeah, it only caps at three. Wait, well, I don't really like it. It's okay. <laughs> like, if you need a Pyroclasm and you're desperate, you want to pay three, then okay. But yeah. I think three mana, especially with the, the slow duels, is going to be tough. And Richard's evaluation just <laughs> went out the window. He doesn't like it anymore. No, I, I thought it'd be sweet if you were a control deck and like for three mana you deal five damage to everything, but it is not. Yes. It does not work like that. No, it does not. <laughs> that would be intense. Is it better than Radiant Fountain? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you just need to gain that life. <laughs> yeah, definitely not in the budget sense. That's uh... for sure. Radiant Fountain is that solid event deck budget land that you always need <laughs> yeah so i think that's all the uh spoilers we wanted to touch on um oh just a quick note we did get the um original oblivion sower art uh it looks awful and uh <laughs> you should probably get the promo version if you want to play them oh i do have a fish meal that just came in though yeah yeah oh. it, i just saw it too uh, someone's asking, since these slow lands are a little worse than shock lands, what are your thoughts about buying them at pre-order price? From at and soul artifact on Twitter. So pre-order pricing be... is about, uh, bucks, I, think I think 10 bucks on eBay. Yeah, nine, 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like them at pre-order prices, obviously. I think they will remain, I don't know about 10 bucks, but I expect them to be like 5 to $8 just because they are going to be the best cycle of duels, not counting fetches, they're not duels, in standard. So. Yeah, I mean... The wild card, though, like we talked about before, is the prices being depressed because of the expeditions, so that could make them lower just because of the whole EV thing we mentioned at the beginning of the cast. Yeah, I, I think they cap out at like four to six bucks. You know, the four the low end of the non blue stuff or the just the stuff that's not popular. Obviously the higher end being the blue stuff for the more popular archetypes. Like I think Smoldering Marsh might be the four dollar one. The other ones maybe a little you know, a little higher in that range. Isn't the red black land always the four dollar one? Or like the least I mean, expensive yeah. one, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean red black's awful, so <laughs> Something we've always been on. on. Yeah, no, I mean, I should have known with Underworld Cerberus that Black Red was <laughs> trash. So I, great, I learned my lesson. That was a solidified lesson learning right there. That never count on Black Red stuff ever again. Yeah, so. see, that's that's the thing, Chaz, with MTG Finance. Everyone picks CV unwritten, and I get 200 tweets about it. Everyone buys Underworld Cerberus. <laughs> And you don't hear a thing. Like, you can oh, trick it. <laughs> you, you definitely hear it from me, that's for sure. Well, uh, yeah, it's not counting you, but I just mean yeah. in general. I mean, like, hey, <laughs> man, there's there's been some stinkers. And uh, if anyone 
knows me, and I, I've said it quite often that uh, I am I'm very open and transparent about my stinkers. Yeah. Uh, because you know you need a basis, and you need to know that you know sometimes you're gonna get it wrong. Yep. Because like if Jay's, we were always right, we'd all be millionaires. Like Jace and Ojitai, for example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't. We gotta we gotta break our streak this set. We can't let Charles win again. I <laughs> I had someone send me a very nice message on Reddit, but it started off, "You lost me a ton of money because I sold my Jaces at pre-release." <laughs> but I have a question for you because I like your articles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Technically, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm gonna throw Ojitai in my stinkers as well, only because I didn't have the courage enough to stand by my conviction. So I wasn't technically wrong. Uh, the good thing is, is I don't see a lot of things to get excited about. Although I do like Gideon, but I don't. I mean, as good as Gideon is gonna be, that you know, or can be, it's just. I mean, I say this again, I say this on Twitter. Cards are going to have to move mountains to maintain some price over five bucks. I mean, the amount of product that's going to be open for these treasures is going to be like, it's going to be crazy, the amount of product that's going to be open. Especially, like you said, Seth, people that didn't even buy boxes are now buying cases. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that God pack where you open it up and you have like, Ten fetches in there, <laughs> like five shocks. Oh like, my oh, god! Oh, collation error. Maybe I should yeah. send this back to Wizards. <laughs> I actually have another fish mail um, from Jay Lopez at JPL Vector. Hey guys, listening to the cast, do you see foil Jace dropping post rotation? Uh, I'm gonna have to look up what foil Jace is at the moment. Well, it just went up a little bit. Foil Jace is $85 in paper. Holy, they had a massive spike for to $570. <laughs> yeah. Uh, buyout apparently. Yeah, I yeah. Um anyway, $85. I think it's kind of too early to tell. The good news is it's very hard to reprint. The bad news is we still haven't really figured out if it's modern or legacy playable. Like it's popped up a little bit. But it still really hasn't proved itself, I don't think, as a staple in those formats. So I'm waiting right. to see what happens over the next six or months to a year. Absolutely right. There's not a huge sample size, right? Um, yeah, and I mean, Redemption just kicked in, didn't it? Yeah, Redemption just started last week, I believe. So the supply should start increasing here pretty rapidly. Yeah, so I mean, you have that going for it as well. I mean, we have a whole month of, of September coming up where, I mean, most likely stores are going to be drafting uh, Origins until Battle of Zendikar comes out. And so, yeah, I mean, that coupled with Moto probably will drive it down a little bit. One, uh, one interesting point that I came across about Foil Mythics while researching the Expeditions is that one Foil Redemption sent from Magic Online is the equivalent to opening 3,200-some boosters. So damn, yeah. So that's like opening ten grand of boosters. You get the same amount of foil mythics from re, uh, redeeming one set for like three or four hundred bucks. So wow. I think there is a, a lot of supply. I'm trying <laughs> to get in contact with some bot people and see if they can give me some more info on like yeah. how much supply comes from that. But I think a significant portion of 
the supply of foil mythics is tied to redemption just because of that. Wow. Well, I guess it does matter. <laughs> so, uh, ex said person, you know who you are, is uh, staying corrected on that one. I guess Moto Redemption does matter. Speaking of Moto, what is the redemption uh, right now of Foil Origins? Uh, I am going to have to look that up real quick. I'm not exactly sure on the Foil set prices off the Because, I mean, if you, if you have an $80 paper Jace, you have like a $40 uh, hanger bag walker. Foil you might be... Origins is $325, fees and oh. shipping included. Yeah, maybe it's not. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you have all you have all the flip walkers, so that's good. Yep. You have hanger back walker, so maybe it, it, it might just be good enough. Foil KTK is four hundred dollars plus twenty five in fees and shipping. So, but you're getting all the fetches in foil. So yeah, you are. I don't know. I'm not an expert on foil redemption. I know yeah. a lot more about regular. I was just, redemption. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, so no more spoilers. We answered some really impromptu fish mail. We covered everything, guys. Uh, huge weekend. I'm still, like, kind of... Whenever stuff like this happens, I just get, like, overwhelmed sometimes. Like, the, the hype is just... And the amount of people just going crazy, and then you got See the Unwritten and <laughs> shit like that. Like, I just... <laughs> I just break down sometimes. So I... I I wanted to do this cast. I'm, I'm glad we got together and did this because uh, we talked it out. And, uh, yeah. Therapy. That's like therapy for a crazy How many cases are you guys buying? <laughs> you know, I, I... The good thing about... You know, I really like Twitter. I really got uh, more accustomed to it over the time that I've been on there. And it's a really good resource. Uh, a shout-out to... Um, one of my Twitter followers, uh, at RatBearPSU, Chris Lloyd, he really is in the process of trying to hook me up with a case. Uh, so hopefully that happens. I, I think I'm going to do it. You I, know, I don't usually do it this much are you at all, actually. <laughs> are you keeping the case? I don't know, man. That's going to be tough, having a case uh, sitting there and not cracking don't, it. Don't ask me, man. I don't. Don't do it. Yeah, I, you'll get a foil... Slow land. I, yeah. That's why I can't. I just know, like, uh, I know with yeah. my luck that's what'll happen. Like, it'll <laughs> no, be the last right. pack of the last box, and I'll open it and see it in the back, and oh, it'll be worth 20 bucks. <laughs> and then I'll, like, flip <laughs> no. the cable, and uh. Don't say that, dude. Don't say that's that. That's a nightmare. I'm, I'm like, you know, walking. I'm like, yeah, you know, if I get the tarn, that's like 200. That's like more than a third of the case right there. I'll be good, and then I have like a rest, the rest of the, the stuff from the case that I could just buy list. Like, oh no, don't. <laughs> Wait, what? What, what, what have been your, what's been your best pull ever, from uh, a pack? I don't, I don't pull anything good. Never. Yes. Wait, what? No, I don't. I, no. Nice. I've never, I don't, yeah. No. Yeah, that's probably been my best pull. I opened a foil Liliana once. Ooh. I no foil Snapcaster. That was my best foil snapping? I don't think I ever opened a foil snapcaster. I've opened a foil snapcaster and a foil uh, Geist of St. Trap. Yeah, Not those bad. have been my best pulls ever. All right, you're, you're, due, you're due for uh, a foil <laughs> Steve Vince. Yeah, well, Innistrad's how old now? Three years? Four? Four? Something four? like that. Wow, four years already? Yeah. Damn. So yeah, I'm due at my, my collective Powerball... 
backpack cracking power has been accumulating, so it's time to <laughs> get the expedition tarn. That's how it probably really works, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> It'll make you feel better. Right, right. When I don't get it, I'll be more pissed off. But yeah. All right, so you're flying in from where you are, Richard. You We're going to crack case. this case. I'll fly over to crack it with you, man. That's, <laughs> that makes no sense because I just bought my own case for this game. <laughs> <laughs> I want to crack some packs. I haven't cracked packs in a long time. Uh, I usually crack. You know what? You know, it's dark secret of my MTG finance. Sometimes I do play the pack lotto on the down low. <laughs> so here it is, admitting it on the cast. The, the, the cardinal rule is you should never buy a sealed product, but I do the pack lotto every now and then. Because you know what? You know, screw it. Whatever. Hey, it's fun. Yeah. Man, it is. That you know counts what? for something, so. Yeah. As, you know, what's four hours every now and then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you get the of notions and oh i'm actually going to be liking that uh i i think i'm due for a uh modern masters 2015 pack here come uh december you should really just play limited though because then you can <laughs> crack packs guilt-free yeah you're right yeah but then like no nah, yeah you're right i guess yeah i mean i'm gonna lose but at least i get some decent rares yeah, if you're gonna crack the packs anyway and then yeah. you can just rare draft everyone else who's like being serious and trying to win <laughs> Yeah, guess that's value in draft. <laughs> I would definitely have done the Pasco Maynard thing and taken the foil goif. So yeah, I would definitely do it in every draft. So we covered everything, and I think that's a good place to stop for this episode, guys. It's been good, another great cast. We will do it again next week. Hopefully, we get more spoilers. Sweet. Yeah. All right. So this is the crew signing out for the MTG Goldfish Podcast. We will see you next time.